Hey everybody, it's Monday, April 4th. Believe it or not, we're already into the second quarter of the year. And that means it's time for another episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia, Nonprofit Conversations. I'm one of your hosts, Cecilia Sop. I am the principal and founder of Rogue Tulips Consulting. And I'm here with my friend and co-host, Agnes. I'm going to throw it over to Agnes to introduce herself. Thank you, Cecilia. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience, wherever you're joining us from. My name is Agnes Amos Coleman. I'm an association executive. Over to you, Cecilia. Thank you, Agnes. And uh, we are really pleased today to have first-time guest Justin McCarthy, who is the CEO of Premia. And Justin is going to say hello and tell us a little bit about himself and his organization. Welcome, Justin. Thank you so much for having me here. Uh, so I'm Justin McCarthy. I dropped the C in because Justin McCarthy is quite a non uh, a well-used um, McCarthy name here in Ireland, so I've had to distinguish myself from several other Justin McCarthy's. Premier, which you mentioned, is the Professional Risk Management International Association, and we're a global body for uh, risk professionals who work in financial services. We actually were founded about 20 years ago, and we split off from um, a well-known firm called GARP, the Global Association of Risk Professionals, and we're in our 20th year at the moment, and I'm the most recent CEO, we actually made the decision to move from having an executive director title to chief executive back when I was chair of the board a few years ago. And uh, for myself, I'm actually a, um, originally a computer scientist. I've worked my way through uh, various jobs in PricewaterhouseCoopers, Bank of America, the Central Bank of Ireland here. And I've held leadership roles in risk and compliance, including in Ulster Bank, which is a part of it's the Irish entity for uh, what was RBS is now NatWest, and also I, uh, before I became CEO here at Premia, I was the Chief Risk Officer and Head of Compliance for a investment uh, fund or firm here in Ireland. That is quite an impressive background, and thank you for bringing that to the nonprofit world, Justin, because we do need that too. Mm -hmm. So how long have you been in your current position as CEO of Premia? I'm afraid to say only about four months. So I was approached later, late last year, um, and asked would I, um, there was a, a search put on from the board because our previous CEO was uh, not renewing his contract. And I was approached and I came on uh, in a parallel uh, sense in November. Uh, but really once I was in the door, I quite quickly uh, took over and started doing a lot of work. What's interesting is I actually uh, started as a volunteer years ago, worked my way up through our chapter structure, and I uh, was actually chair of our global board for several years as well. And, and you know, sorry, go ahead, Cecilia, I was going to say Oh, something. I was just going to say, sorry, Agnes, we're both obviously interested in this topic, Justin, sorry, we talk over each other sometimes. But I was just going to point out your volunteer leadership path, your journey, uh, that's a really classic example of a volunteer leadership funnel. And then the fact that you were willing to step into this leadership role for your colleagues and take over the association is fantastic. So congratulations on that and happy anniversary on the 20th year. I'm going to throw it over to Agnes for her question. That's great. Thanks, Cecilia. And, and you know what, uh, listening to your background and, and a lot of what you've done in the risk world, uh, it's quite impressive. And of course, given the turbulent times that we're in, I am very interested, and I know our global community are, to find out uh, based on what you've done, based on your experience, how do we as the association community proof risk our business? Because as you know, we've had really um, 
predictable and disruptive you know, uh, situations over the past couple of years. And we're just interested in, in getting this conversation going because it's an issue that we're all grappling with, uh, Justin. Yeah, it's an interesting one because like many associations, our chapters are one of our greatest assets. So, you know, we often have discussions, um, should we charge for chapter events and so on? And I've resisted that for years because it's probably the, the cheapest and best form of marketing you can have. But all of a sudden, two years ago, that all goes away. All of a sudden, you cannot do a, a in-person chapter event. And I'm glad to say with probably very little um, prompting from our uh, central organization, a lot of our chapters pivoted very quickly to virtual events. Now that's had two advantages for us. It's allowed us to continue having some element of our chapters exist over the last uh, couple of years. But also because these are recorded, we've built up a huge volume of recorded uh, essentially webinars. And now when I'm trying to sell people, and I have to use that term, I, I do a lot, I, I've done, uh, a lot of work over the years, but I have to use the word sell, even though we're a nonprofit, we have to make a circuit, we have to build reserves. When I'm selling for me, I say, become a sustaining member and you can actually get access to all this material just sitting on our website. But I'm speaking to you now, and as we know, in April 2021, and we're seeing the Zoom fatigue. And that's a real issue at the moment. So what I'm finding at the moment is we're suddenly having to shift from a situation where we've had all this uh, virtual stuff going on to seeing um, can we go back to in person? And if you want to hear a little bit more, I'm actually looking at doing a guerrilla hybrid event in a two weeks time, which will allow us to see if we can enable our chapters to do some hybrid stuff so we can maintain the local networking of having an event in person, but also keep that global community going. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, if I could just make a, a clar clarification, uh, Zoom fatigue is hitting all of us. We're actually in 2022, not 2021. So everybody, sorry. it's 2022. No apologies needed. I was just I, talking. I have a calendar in the bottom right hand uh, of my screen here. I'm just, <laughs> I haven't been left out much lately. <laughs> it doesn't many of us have not uh we've actually stayed in because of the issue of risk that has been raised over the last two years uh and i was just talking with someone about how uh the last two years 2020 to 2022 so far even though things are opening up a little bit now uh it's really warped our sense of time yeah. things happened like i had a lunch uh on wednesday and thought it was last friday <laughs> but it was actually just this week so it, yeah it's um within the last week i should say it was within the last week but I'd, yeah I'd, so I'd, I'd, i had a great meeting the other morning with um one of our um partners here in ireland the institute of banking and the deputy ceo ken o'sullivan was saying to me this is my second in-person meeting in two years he had another one the same day so i think we're all suddenly going from being pardon the phrase at home to mm. suddenly having to realize that we're back out there and I think for associations you, you can't sit and wait for this to happen you have to be planning now you have to be saying okay we are suddenly going to have people who want to meet in person again what are we going to do and some of our um, we have some virtual events related to ESG um, environmental sustainability and governance and cyber that are coming up in May and June 
but I had contingency plans or mitigation in place that if we had to pivot any of those to hybrid, we would do that, that we would pick some city, probably London or New York, where the majority of our speakers were and have them meet in a room, maybe get some participants there and actually pivot it to, to hybrid. That hasn't proved necessary so far, but I think you, you almost have to see is there going to be a step forward or backwards from, mm. you know, from completely in person to completely virtual to hybrid in the middle that you may have to, to find where we are. And we're fortunate at the moment. Omicron seems to have been um, my, my, my sympathies with anybody who's lost family to Omicron. But it seems that between the strain that it is and uh, other uh, things that have been done, such as vaccination, it's a less, it's more benign um, variant. But mm -hmm. I, I, I dread to think could something suddenly emerge in a few weeks and we're all in lockdown again. So for myself as a, as a risk manager and as an association leader, I have to have contingency plans in place that if, um, if something happens, we can pivot back again. And I think that's the core of, I often say this when I've been a consultant as a risk management, I've been a leader in organizations risk management, and you sometimes have to think everything you do is risk management. So mm. if someone says, you know, oh, well, just in case we're booking this, you know, we're, we're, we're trying out this tool, or just in case we're engaging with this firm, that's risk management. You, 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 know, you, you just don't know it. You can put it in your, you know, you can have risk registers and all these reports and so on. But it's sometimes just common sense. It's saying, OK, if there was some change during the summer, how would we deal with our autumn and winter events? And part of what I'm doing with this, um, so I'm flying out to uh, Amsterdam in a couple of weeks time where we have one of our chapters. And I'm taking just a bunch of equipment I, I got off eBay and so on, including even the amp that's sitting behind me here. And I'm mm -hmm. saying, OK, we'll do a hybrid uh, event we'll do it on the cheap on the fly document mm -hmm. that and then share that with our chapter network around the world and say you know don't be afraid if you want to do a hybrid event this is how we did it with, uh, with a few things put together the reality is you could do it with some very expensive uh, providers and if if you have the budget do it but if you have chapters that are you know they're good volunteers you may not have budget for them and so on it's to say to them have some event and mm -hmm. if I can focus on that for a moment, I think sometimes chapters can get very hung up on that they have to have a huge all singing, all dancing event. Mm -hmm. I often say to chapters in development, uh, have something small, meet in a cafe with a, a bunch of your peers, whatever association you're representing. Um, mm -hmm. The first ever Crimea um, chapter event in Ireland was a couple of us met in a pub. And I know that sounds like a stereotype, mm -hmm. And we had a chat, but before we knew it, we, we had uh, support from a, an organization and we had our in-person meetings and so on. So networking is something that we all want to do. And while we've all gotten much better at doing business over Zoom, and that's what we're doing here, um, we also still want to meet in person. That's right. Yeah. And I and I love your commitment to your chapter network. Uh, I'm a former chapter relations professional and did that for a good chunk of my earlier part of my career. And they are really important to any success because that is really how people participate in an organization, whether it's a national organization or an international organization. So encouraging that, I applaud you for that. That's that's very important. Yeah. Um, and let's talk a little bit more about risk management. Yes. 
as there's so many levels of it. I personally think that what the uh, lockdown did, and then now we're trying to segue back into some in-person and people are, are talking about risk more. I, th- I think we were forgetting there always was risk in in-person mm-hmm. meetings, whether it's a slip and fall or <laughs> I was on staff at a specialty bar association, the hotel we were having our conference at had a fire one day and a flood the mm-hmm. next. So there's always some level of risk. Did, did, did the flood put out the fire? <laughs> Unfortunately, no, but you will appreciate this, Justin. The flood was outside the crisis management sessions. If the flood happened and put the fire out, but no, they were in two different days and two different parts of the hotel. But, but uh, bringing it back to the risk issue, you know, there are slip and falls. There's people getting a food they're allergic to. Uh, nut allergies can be deadly. To people, uh, we don't think about these things. Uh, so, how do you incorporate some of that risk management background you have that you're bringing to this international association? There's because there is at risk at all levels. There's risk with dealing with staff. There's risk with having an office. Everything. So, what are some of those lessons that you're bringing from yeah, that? I think to start with, um, look for some kind of, and I'm not use the word taxonomy. Look for some kind of risk taxonomy. So at least you know what to look at because you could find yourself focusing on one particular set of risks and completely forgetting another. So back when I was with the Central Bank of Ireland, I worked on a project called PRISM, which was a a risk-based supervision framework for all the um, regulated entities in Ireland. Mm -hmm. We had 10 risk categories, so like credit risk, operational risk, market risk, liquidity risk, and then sub-risks under those. And I've gone on and developed on top of that. We're actually releasing a premier risk taxonomy in the next couple of weeks to to join the platter of other risk taxonomies in the world. But it's actually to look at, okay, you know, you could have somebody in your association who's the risk person, and maybe they are focusing on stuff like slips and falls and so on and so forth. And you could say to them, that's brilliant. Within operational risk, you've looked at like health and safety or or, uh, you're saying about staff, your workplace relations but actually to step back and look and recognize that you may have governance risk and strategic risk. So within governance risk, do you have a quality board? Do you have um, um, quality management? Mm-hmm. Do you have to actually bring in um, other functions like internal audit or something? Because as, as nonprofits and as associations, we often have to remember that we should ensure that we have the highest standards of governance. So think about you know, those different areas. Are you a viable entity? So within, um, within that particular risk category, you can say, okay, is, an, is your entity viable? What risks are there that could take down your viability? So I know with Premia, we have a certain set of um, legs for a stool, we call it, which are different business areas. And in-person L&D is a good earner for us. And that obviously is something that cannot be done during COVID times. Mm-hmm. So... I am looking at our finances and our viability and saying, okay, how can we ensure that we have the most possible income from different business lines? That it, and then what would happen to us as an entity if we lost any of those because of something like what we would not have imagined like COVID a few years ago? And then it's to say to yourself, okay, have I built up sufficient reserves that if, if there was some um, event like that, that I can maintain my business for a certain amount of time where if quite possibly you have no income for several weeks, several months and so on. 
we were lucky. We're, we're an American association, so we were lucky. We had access to the, the PPP loans and so on that allowed us to, to help weather that storm. But there may be some event that happens in the future where if you haven't talked to yourself, what are the risks to my business? What are my different business lines and way that my members interact with me? What would happen if that just went away? So speaking to the chapter network, which I think we're good at, and as part of my role as CEO, I want to make us much better at, but we had to my, we had to mitigate that risk to some degree by going online. I think the business can still, overall, our L&D business and other things we're doing can pivot more online as well to allow us to serve more of a global market. And if there was some other event that meant that we couldn't do social interaction again, that we could go back to what we did before. So, you know, it's it's good. You, you mentioned a lot of very good risks there, Cecilia, but if I was your risk person, I'd say, okay, let's look at the other side of the risk taxonomy or the different risk categories. And you might have somebody who's sitting on your board or something who's focusing on, as you said, slips and falls, and you'd say, ah, but I think we have an issue with our board in that we don't have a nomination committee and we're not getting good volunteers coming forward to serve as board members. So, you know, very quickly, you might say to yourself, there's a high inherent risk of having poor volunteers serving the board. We need a control or an action to mitigate that. We put in place a nomination committee to go out and search for people. And then we should hope that the residual risk is much lower and is within our risk appetite. And that kind of wording that I use there, inherent residual appetite, is the, the wording of risk management. But you can apply that to any activity. If you're going out on a sailboat for the day or you're going out to the car, you can say, yeah, there's a high inherent risk of me getting killed in my car. But by wearing a seatbelt and driving on the, the speed limit and staying on the correct side of the road, the residual risk is within my appetite. So I will go to the shop and buy some food and come back and cook it. That's, and I really <laughs> like Kevin that you, I'm sorry, why we keep saying Kevin, we talked about too many Kevins. <laughs> we have so, so many Kevins. <laughs> we have had many Kevins on the show and, and Justin so far is our only Justin. So we apologize, <laughs> Justin, you are the one unique Justin. Uh, so Justin, um, also I think there is an actor named Kevin McCarthy too. So I think I'm mashing that I should up. look on the IMDB later. The internet <laughs> I think a Kevin McCarthy actor, I'm not sure. Anyway, mm. Justin, who is just in time to help us wrap up the episode. Uh, I love that you expanded risk away from liability into mm -hmm. the other areas of risk for associations and nonprofits. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we are already near the end of our episode. Uh, I would love to be able to dig in for another half hour, but uh, we'll just have to have you back, Justin. I will be very happy to come uh, so, back. And if you want to focus on a particular topic, we can do that. That would be excellent. But before we sign off for this week, I'd like to see if Agnes has any other questions or comments. Well, thank you, uh, Justin, for sharing your insights in the risk world. I think definitely uh, considering the times, the volatile times that we live in, uh, the issue of risk is something that should be, you know, at the forefront of our minds, even in our personal lives, you know, and uh, your perspective is definitely uh, valuable. Uh, but as part of your closing thought, uh, one of the things that I think we would like to hear from you to share with our global community are who are the stakeholders that needs to have a seat at the table to have this discussion? Because uh, mm -hmm. I know that it takes more than one person, it takes more than the CEO. And as you know, not all 
uh, associations have the same business model. Not all of them have chapters. So who are the key essential people that needs to sit around the table to have a discussion around risk issues that impact our business? Yeah, I think um, no risk program works unless you speak to your, your own internal staff. So they're an amazing stakeholder. They will think of things you never spoke, thought of. Our boards are always great thought leaders and are a form of, of risk management. So these are people who are further along in their careers and can tell you things that you just never thought of. And uh, Craig Conrad, who was one of our um, CEOs before, he's not on our board, but he's gone on to the National Contracts Association. And I check in with him now and then. So you look for, uh, he's, he's a head of a, another association. I call him up here, but he's miles ahead of me. And then whether it's chapters, whether it's members and so on, you must speak to your members. And if you're not speaking to your chapters, your, your member on the ground and so on, they're not going to tell you things you know. And what I'll say is uh, in the last three or four months, and especially in the last month since I've become CEO, I've just been picking random members or random members of our profession and just talking to them. Some of the ideas they've come up with have been amazing and are being implemented by us over the next couple of months. So I think spread, spread it broad, speak to as many as you can, and then execute and get on with it. Wow, what a great closing thought. Thank you, Justin. And uh, we always like to ask our guests if somebody would like to contact you later and continue the conversation with you outside this episode, what's the best way to get in touch? So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, my full name at the end is Justin C. McCarthy. So I had that at the end. And also uh, you can find me on email. I'm sure I won't get spammed or you can edit this out if it's if it's poor practice. But justin.mccarthy at crimea.org. And, you know, I, I, I get already get a, a massive email since I've become a CEO uh, selling me services I don't need. But if you want to get in touch either about helping me in my own association journey, and I've said to Cecilia, I need to work in my own CAE. Or if you want to find out about risk management while we focus on financial services, to be honest, the fundamentals and the first principles are the same no matter where you are. If you just want to have a Zoom call and a chat, um, look me up, have a chat and it helps me learn whenever I speak to people. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Justin. And actually, we encourage email, but not phone numbers. So, uh, <laughs> or LinkedIn. So, thank you so much. Justin, this has been great. It's already been a multi leveled conversation, but we've just scratched the surface of risk proofing associations. So, thank you. And I know you will be back because uh, we just have to dig in more and hear more. Also, uh, we'd love to hear more about your journey as a new CEO. So, we'll have you that's on fine. to talk about that. But Excellent. we need to go rogue for now. We'll be back next week with another exciting episode of Chatting with Agnes and Cecilia, Nonprofit Conversations. We are available on both audio and video formats uh, at YouTube, Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music now, which means you can also find us on Audible. So look us up there. Or on your favorite podcast provider, you can pretty much find us anywhere in audio uh, format. If you'd like to learn more about Rogue Tulips, visit us at our website, roguetulips.com. If you, like Justin, are interested in beginning your CAE journey, check out the 501C League at the 501Cleague.net. That is our program where we provide CAE education and training. So look us up there. Thanks again, everyone. And on behalf of Agnes, Justin, and myself, we will see you next time. And don't forget to subscribe.